0: What's up, Dolph fans, and welcome into the Friday, July the 5th edition of the Locked On Dolphins Podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we're going to get back into the Twitter mailbag and answer the rest of your questions. Plus, Christmas came early as the Warren Sharp 2019 NFL Preview Magazine is out and in my possession. I'll give you the most interesting facts from Mr. Sharp's Dolphins man. Manifest- manifesto and some sobering news involving a current Dolphins defensive tackle but first before any of that I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Tuned In, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review the show. Those five-star ratings help out the podcast tremendously. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at NFL. Then I'm going to follow on Dolphins Twitter, as voted by Dolphins Twitter, and follow the show at LockedOnFins. You can also find my work on Fansided.com, where I cover the Pac-12 and college football, and also, of course, LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one blog in the entire Locked On Network. And last but not least, the rest of the Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Let's go. It's another Miami Miami Dolphins. The sobering news of the day as late Wednesday evening, early Thursday morning, Dolphins defensive tackle Kendrick Norton was involved in a two car accident that left the Dolphins defensive tackle without his arm. They had to amputate his arm to free him from the wreckage after the crash had occurred. So Kendrick Norton, 22 years old, formerly of the Carolina Panthers, formerly of the University of Miami, a standout player for the Hurricanes, has lost an arm and as a result has lost his football career as well. He was signed from the Panthers practice squad last season and eventually got onto the field towards the end of the year in December, and he had a good shot to make the roster in training camp this summer to be one of the defensive linemen to break camp with the team, but that all goes out the window as he is going to be placed very soon, I assume, on one of the designated reserve lists for players that are not able to play this season. So Kendrick Norton loses an arm and the Dolphins lose a defensive tackle in the process. It's difficult to transition from that news into anything else, but we're going to do our best here on the on Dolphins podcast and talk about the Warren Sharp 2019 NFL preview and some of the facts that he has out in this magazine. It is the most comprehensive, best thing you can buy on the football market. Go out there and get it. It's gonna run you about $35 on Amazon, but it is the most detailed NFL literature you're gonna find. And I'm not gonna give you guys all of the Dolphins details, but I figured we could point out some of the most eye-popping data from this publication, this class a publication from Warren Sharp. And a quick aside, we're going to come back next week and dive into some of the Patriots metrics and talk about what we can glean from that data as well and also use this information to talk about Miami's 2019 opponents coming down the pipeline on the podcast. But up first, the salary commitments were very interesting to me. And you guys saw me tweeting about this on the 4th of July yesterday. The Dolphins rank 32nd in the National Football League with salary commitments on the offensive side of the football. So nobody pays their offensive players less money than the Miami Dolphins. And a big part of that is the Josh Rosen contract because the quarterbacks rank number 29th across the NFL in terms of salary owed this year. The Dolphins offensive line definitely At last, they pay their offensive line less money than any other collective offensive line in the National Football League. Number 32 at running back, cheap there as well. The 27th highest paid running backs in the NFL. Receivers are number 13, the highest number on the offense. And tight ends are 17th in the NFL for salary owed. Now on defense, and this was the most interesting aspect to me, is that the Dolphins were previously always a top two or three paid defensive line in the NFL under Mike Tannenbaum, it was clear that Miami valued the edge rusher, the integral portion of the wide nine defense that has to play the run or set the edge on the way to the pass rush as well asking those guys a lot to do from Robert Quinn, Cam Wake, and the like. And it's interesting that Tannenbaum could never really put together a pass rush after the Rex Ryan allure of sorts wore off in New York. So then he comes to Miami and puts all of his eggs into that defensive line basket, into that edge rusher basket, but also with and Sue in the middle. And for what? Very minimal production across those three or four years that Tannenbaum was in charge of things. And so now, just one year removed from Mike Tannenbaum and the big salaries of Robert Quinn, Cam Wake, and Dominican Sue, the Dolphins owe the defensive line the 29th lowest salary in 2019, linebackers are 24th, cornerbacks are number 10, and safeties... Ouch, number three, only two teams in the National Football League pay their safeties more money than what the Dolphins owe Rashad Jones and TJ McDonald, and however you want to classify the safety position with Walt Aikens and Marie Smith in there as well, and possibly Minka Fitzpatrick, I'm not sure where he falls into all that, but it's really, really bad, that safety figure is not good, and it all comes from Rashad Jones, he has to get back to his 2015 form to even justify a portion of that salary, he needs to be great. And you remember my article about Adam Gaze not being as good as his record said he was back in, I think it was November. Well, here's your proof. Warren Sharp has this great stat called early down success rate, where you measure the efficiency of certain plays based upon the down and distance. And in that EDSR statistic, the Dolphins had the fifth softest schedule in the NFL last season, yet they ranked 25th in defensive efficiency and 29th in offensive efficiency. So facing some of the lesser opponents across the league, they themselves were awful pretty much all year long. They were 31st in red zone and third down efficiency. They won the EDSR battle, the S- the early down success rate battle, only twice all season long. And that's a very good indicator of who's going to win the game, whoever wins that EDSR battle. They only beat the Titans in week one with all those rainstorms and the backup quarterback and Blaine Gabbert. And they beat the Patriots in week 14 in the miracle game. So, not very good efficiency across the across the board for the Dolphins. The Dolphins made 90% of their field goals last year. That was 7th best in football. The opponents made 75% of their field goals. 3 out of every 4 field goals went through for the opposition. That was worst in the National Football League. And that number, that differential on the field goals accounted for a 15% boost in point differential for the Dolphins. So, no actual football contributions in terms of offense and defense, just guys kicking footballs resulted in a 15% boost to the Dolphins' point differential. Out of 11 personnel, Adam Gaze's bread and butter, they produced a 45% success rate and 6.7 yards per attempt from that package. From 12 personnel, however, they posted a 61% success rate with 13.6 yards per attempt, double the previous figure. But 11 personnel was called 86% of the time. So the Dolphins didn't know how to run their own personnel, how to self-scout and the things they did best and the things they did worst. They had no idea. The Dolphins were 7-1 in one-score games last year, an 87.5% win rate. And since 1995, 21 teams have had an 87.5% win rate in one-score games. All of them, every single one of them, won 10 or more games except the 2018 Miami Dolphins, who went 7-9. And you might say, well, that shows metal. It's good to win one-score games. Yes, it is, of course, but it always, almost always regresses back to the mean. The following year, after that 87.5% win rate in one-score games, the average winning percentage of those 21 teams the following season was 519. It all averages back out eventually, and there is a lot, a lot, lot, lot more interesting information in this magazine. And like I said, I don't want to give it all away, but you can bet we are going to refer to this Warren Sharp 2019 NFL preview mag many, many times on this podcast. It's right up my alley. The analytics stuff is fascinating to me with this Miami Dolphins football team. And as you are battling through your 4th of July hangover on the 5th of July here for this Friday podcast, we're going to crank the levity back up here on the next portion of the show and come back with your Twitter questions on the mailbag and get to the rest of all of those questions here next on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. At Wingfield NFL, at Locked On Fins. She never kept the same address in conversation. She spoke just like a baroness. Recording this podcast on Thursday afternoon, rather, just before my 4th of July plans. Gonna head down to a pool party and have some good times with the boys, throwing back some Coors lights, I'm sure. And before we jump into this next portion, the Twitter mailbag portion of this Friday show, I wanna tell you guys this podcast is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own trip with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. That's Hotels.com. Be there, do that, get rewarded. And we're going to jump back into the Twitter mailbag from yesterday's show. I put the call out on Twitter. I didn't get many responses, so I retweet it, and then you guys come back and bombard me with these questions. So let's go ahead and get into these because, like I said, I love the p- content that you guys helped me produce on the show here. And what a great segue that last song was into this question from Miami, at Devon underscore Dolphin. What's your favorite Queen track? I'm going to go with Another One Bites the Dust, just that bass line. It's really easy to kind of tap your foot to. It's a great windows down song, which is really the most important thing about music. How great does it sound with the windows down going down the highway at 70 miles an hour? Next question here from Dixon Tam, at Dixon Tam, which Dolphins player do you think will have the best chance of making it to the Pro Bowl next season? I'm guessing it's not a long list. It's got to be Xavier Howard because now that he's in the public eye with the big contract, he made the Pro Bowl last year, so he already has that recognition. But it's more about name brand recognition. And now that Howard has the big contract, people are going to pay attention to him. People are going to know who he is. So it's easily Xavier Howard. This next one comes in from Fins Up. He's at Fins Up Group. I'm curious, which players do you think are going to gain a lot from this offense or defensive scheme changes, plus the new coaching staff and their tough old school ways in practice? You guys have heard me talk all off season long about how I think very highly of Kenyon Drake, and I think he stands to really improve the most based upon the coaching changes. One, for the, the more usage that he gets this season, but also I think he needed more of a leader in charge, not an Adam Gaze type who just wanted to run the offense and call the offensive plays. He's talked about it already. I think he really, really has kind of likened, or taken a liking rather, to Brian Flores. So on offense, I'll go Kenyon Drake. On defense, I'm going to go Raquan McMillan because I think the world of him, and I think he's really going to excel in a role that puts him doing the things that he does best, opposed to asking him to do things like cover down the field and just get himself into situations where he's not adept at performing at those levels. Next question comes in from Brody Brace. He's at Brace My. What would be the best formation to put our best players on the field? Nickel, dime, or dollar? I'm going to go with nickel because I just don't think there are six defensive backs that are good enough to play in this package. And I like the three down linemen of Wilkins, Godshot, and Taylor. I like the three linebackers with McMillan, Baker, and Alonzo. And then the five defensive backs on the field would be McCain, Howard, Fitzpatrick, Jones, and we'll go with Rowe over McDonald in the backfield as well. So give me that nickel defense as our best package with those 11 guys I just told you about. Next question here comes in from Chris Lerondo. He's at extortion on Twitter. I know you always talk about playing baseball in high school. What was your senior year batting average? And did you take a dabble at playing at the next level? Well, I told you on Twitter, I was very glad that you asked me this because when my mom passed away a couple of years ago, we had to go clean out her house and get everything out of there. And one of the coolest things about it from doing that, which was a very tough situation, was that she kept all the newspaper clippings of my high school sports updates up on her cabinet that she had in the kitchen so I got to bring those back and so I still have those paper cutouts newspaper cutouts from the top batting averages from my senior year and I posted it on the thread I hit 412 my senior year I had some college offers to play but I was pretty much at the point in my life where I didn't want to play baseball anymore it's one of my biggest regrets I didn't actually pursue college baseball but I had some offers to play at Central Washington University, the local junior college here CBC, Columbia Basin College, as well as some other junior colleges across the state of Washington, but I just didn't do it and it was very dumb of me because at 18 I was pretty dumb. Next question here comes in from Kevin Gerard at Kevin Gerard 13. I gave you one in the original thread, but a second one would be who is your most trusted draft guru? meaning who th- whose opinion do you respect the most? I have to go with my guy now that he's elevated to the big screen, to the big chair on the draft day itself. Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network and NFL Media has just been doing this for so long. I trust his opinion as a scouting background. I just really like the way he presents himself, and he seems like a good guy too. Plus, he knows a lot about football. So give me Jeremiah. This next question from Rosenbud at FinSanity32, the office or friends. My wife falls asleep to friends every single night. And so I basically have that theme song stuck in my head at all times, but I actually watched The Office where I never even saw Friends except for the times I watch it with her when I'm not paying attention. But I was a big fan of The Office until Michael Scott left, and it was kind of pointless after that, but The Office by a long, long shot. Next question here comes in from Jack Dixon. He is at JCCDixon33 on Twitter. Who do you think will make the biggest impact this year? Depth seems to be an issue on the offensive line. What do you think? As far as the offensive line, I think obviously Laramie Tuns will be the guy, but I have pretty high hopes for Chris Reed, the Jaguars free agent from last season. He can play either guard position, and I think that what he does from an intellect standpoint, picking up stunts and finding combo blocks, I really have high hopes for him to excel in this offense, and the fact that he came over from where Pat Flaherty coached the Dolphins new offensive line coach. I believe that connection, there's some trust there. I think they're going to find a way to get him playing well at the right guard position. Next question here from Renee Thompson at Renee underscore Goulet. Just went to the Hall of Fame with my little girls. What are the chances that Zach gets to join Jason Taylor in the Hall of Fame? I think It's hard to say because I think he belongs there, should have been in the Hall of Fame already, as I'm sure most of you guys do as well, being Dolphins fans, and it's really hard to ignore the stats. I think eventually, kind of the way it happened with my Mariners and Edgar Martinez, he finally gets in. I think enough push, enough of a propaganda from all of us as Dolphins fans to make that push to the Hall of Fame. I think he eventually will get in. It just might take a little while, but I do think that eventually Zach Thomas does get into the Hall of Fame. Okay, let's go ahead and head into our last break here and we'll answer the rest of these questions on the other side of the podcast. But before we do that, I want to tell you guys about Untuck It and their fantastic shirts that are specifically designed to look great untucked and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. I wore my Untuck It shirt yesterday yesterday to an event with the wife, and I looked fantastic on the patio drinking wine. Looking good, no tucking, no tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com, use promo code MBA to get 20% off your order. That's untuckit.com, promo code MBA. And we're going to come back and answer the rest of your Twitter questions here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL, at Lockdown Fins. So before the 4th of July festivities, my wife and I took a nice long bike ride up the highway next to our house out here. And I don't know about you guys, but... I started biking a couple weeks ago, and I think it might be the most therapeutic, best exercise I've ever done. I've really become addicted to it, getting out there on the road, getting some extra vitamin D. It's a good exercise, doesn't hammer your joints and your ankles and your knees and all that stuff. It feels like at 31 years old, the body has completely betrayed me and broken down on me. But bicycling, who knew it, was the great alternative to keep yourself in cardiovascular shape while you're getting old and your bones and joints are deteriorating. So that's how I've been doing it. Maybe before we know it, I'll have some frog legs like the other bikers as well. But one thing I got to ask is why do they make us wear those ridiculous outfits when you go biking? I mean, I haven't bought them yet. The spandex shorts and the spandex shirt and that funky looking aerodynamic helmet. It all looks ridiculous. I don't wear that stuff yet. I do have a helmet, which let's be honest, looks ridiculous on me. And I get wearing the tight spandex stuff in competition, but just riding around for the fun of it, I'll never understand that. And hopefully I don't become a conformist and get myself into the tight spandex gear. But with that said, let's go ahead and jump back into the Twitter mailbag here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. You guys responded with a bunch of great questions. I love it. Let's start here with this one from Gypsy Spirit at Gypsy Caravan 53 Do you think Flores plans for a near copy of New England's offense? And if so, isn't Rosen's skill set almost identical to Tom Brady's? Well, the first thing you have to recognize is that, yeah, the offense is predicated on sharp processing skills and a cerebral aptitude for the game. And I think it's easy to kind of make light of how difficult the situation is for quarterbacks to make these things happen in a short rhythm, tempo-based offense like this one we're going to see from Chad O'Shea. And to answer your first question, yes, I think it will have a lot of similarities, but they'll also find ways to get their guys in the best position to succeed. That's the MO of this coaching staff and really every coaching staff around the league. But I heard a great quote on the Around the NFL podcast. I forget who it was from. And they talked about the levels of quarterbacking And it was something to the effect that when you first get in the league, you basically know what your progressions are and what your routes are. The next step you take is figuring out what the defense is trying to do to you. The third step is how to attack what that defense is trying to do to you. And the fourth step, the mastery expert level Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees level, is when you know what they're trying to do against your coverage and you can manipulate, or your offense rather, and you can manipulate what you're doing and showing them pre snap to get them to do things so you can attack it accordingly. I think that Josh Rosen's probably somewhere in that second, maybe the third stage at best, whereas Tom Brady's in that fourth stage, and it takes time and time and repetition to get to that level, but I do think that he has a chance to excel if he can put together some more success on the layup throws. I talked about this from the Kurt Warner segment on the Move the Sticks podcast earlier this week, the Quarterback Prototype podcast, and he talked about how a quarterback needs two things for him. He needs a guy that can step his game up in the big moments, which is an unquantifiable trait, but you can see it when you watch it. And number two, You need to hit the layups. You have to recognize the layups, where they're going to be pre-snap, and then after the snap, hit them. Hit every single one of them because that keeps you on schedule. It protects the football. It keeps you in the game in the fourth quarter. And then that's where the number one trait, the rising to the occasion, can really come into play. So I think Rosen has a chance, but I want to see him connect on more of those layups because last year in Arizona, that was a problem for him. Next question here from Tim Smith. He's at Finn Smitty on Twitter. What have you heard? What type of impact is Jim Caldwell having in Miami? Well, we know that he is something of a quarterback guru, and that's kind of been his background in the NFL. I haven't heard a lot of reports on it yet. I imagine we'll get some more once training camp and preseason and the season gets here. But as far as his impact, having a veteran presence in that room with Jerry Szaplinski is such a big advantage because you go back to Ryan Tannehill, All he had was Zach Taylor, who was so unqualified at the time to be coaching a quarterback room. He was fresh out of college at the time. It's just nice to have a guy that's been around the league, been around the block. He's seen success. He's seen failure. I think that Jim Caldwell's experience and knowledge will definitely have a positive impact on this team. Next one here comes in from Mark. He's at Mark Wardlaw97. Are there any remaining free agents still available that the Dolphins should seriously consider pursuing? I think there's a chance. And now that we are down Kendrick Norton, unfortunately, they might have to go back to the defensive line. Well, I know they met with Nick Pier- Nick Perry back in the free agent period. He's still out there, a 3-4 outside linebacker type, an edge type, maybe a Charles Harris insurance policy type behind him. He's only 29 years old. He played in Green Bay with Patrick Graham. I think he would make a lot of sense the safety Trey Boston from Arizona, even though Miami has so much money tied up in the position, if they do find a way to trade Rashad Jones, I think either Trey Boston or Glover Quinn, a 33-year-old from Detroit last season, would make a lot of sense. Quinn played in the same defense with Matt Patricia last year, so he would be a pretty easy plug-and-play type of guy there as well. I've talked about Jay Ajayi. I could see him being a hammer type of player, Five to seven carries per game type of guy. And Mohamed Wilkerson, we talked about him a little bit on the podcast in the past. I think he makes some sense as a base five technique. Maybe when Tank Carradine takes an injury, if he does, that could be a route the Dolphins explore. But probably going into camp, the roster stays as it is. And then once injuries and cuts begin to happen, we'll see some changes there. Okay, we've got two more questions here. The first one from Matthew Siena. He's at Matthew Siena on Twitter. How long until Brian Hartline gets a chance at coaching at the NFL level? Well, he's probably going to have to rise up through the positional ranks at Ohio State. He's the receiver coach right now. Probably going to have to take a bump to offensive coordinator and then maybe a head coaching job in college as well. So he's probably a solid decade away. It's a long progression to climb up the coaching ranks. He has a long way to go, but it sounds like he's doing a fantastic job down there at Ohio State. Last one here from Sean Ally. It's at J-Z-U-C-F-O-3. I don't know if that's a word, but we're going with it anyways. Which AFC East team has the best young quarterback and defensive duo between Rosen, Wilkins, Darnold Williams, Alan Oliver, and Stidham and Winovich? We'll go ahead and remove the Patriots from that list because Jarrett Stidham has to prove a lot more before he's even put in that category with these former first round draft picks. He is a former five-star high school guy, but it didn't really work out for him at Auburn to expect him to become something at the next level would be unexpected for lack of a better term now as far as which team has the best young talent I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bills even though I think Josh Allen probably scares a lot of folks that defensive talent they have whether it's Ed Oliver or otherwise they have so many good young parts between Trey White, Tremaine Edmonds they still have Micah Micah Hyde back there, Josh Poyer in that secondary that team is just kind of loaded across the board on defense and if Josh Allen can just Do more to hit a few of the layups like I talked about in the previous segment. He's going to have a great career because his off-script prowess, his running ability, the dual threat action he offers, he could be a scary guy to deal with for a long, long time. So give me the Buffalo Bills in that regard. But next year, when the Dolphins maybe get their guy of the future, or if it's Josh Rosen and the defense develops under another year of Brian Flores, we can talk about the Dolphins in that same vein next year. Okay, we're going to cut the podcast right there. I want to tell you guys first about Grip6 Belts. Today's show is brought to you in part by Grip6 Belts and their ultra lightweight belts with no holes, no flap. It's a great gift for your dad, your grandfather, your son, your brother, your uncle, anyone out there wearing a belt. Got to check out Grip6. They have a special offer for you right now at Grip6.com. That's Grip6.com slash lock and we're going to go ahead and get out of here on this July the 5th edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast thank you guys for sticking around with me during the dead period of the offseason we're almost there for training camp positional battles and previews and all that fun stuff coming down the pipeline here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast your daily dose also please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the Apple podcast app leave us a rating leave us a review check out the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams you can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL the show at Lockdown Fins you can find my college football Pac-12 writing on fansided.com and keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again on Sunday with Kevin Dern for a special edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up. Happy 4th.